Hey guys, remember when I told you we were going multimedia? Well, today we're looking at the complete 1943 movie serial collection, Batman. And our copy includes all 15 segments. See how Batman really began. Batman started it all, and now it's available on DVD for the first time ever. I believe this DVD was made in 2005. Watch as mild-mannered Bruce Wayne, Lewis Wilson, becomes Batman, that classic superhero who, with Robin, Douglas Croft, protects Gotham City from the evil schemes of Dr. Tico Daka, J. Carol Nash, packed with adventures including a radium-powered death ray, a deadly alligator pit, electronic zombies, and even the original Batcave. The Batman 2-disc set is a must-own DVD for any fan of the Caped Crusader. And underneath that, we get all our credits. Columbia Pictures presents Batman with Lewis Wilson, Douglas Croft, J. Carol Nash, Shirley Patterson, based on the Batman comic magazine feature, appearing in Detective Comics and Batman magazines, created by Bob Kane. Script by Victor McLeod, Leslie Swabacker, Harry Fraser, produced by Rudolf C. Flothow, directed by Lambert Hillier. Wow, that sounds so cool. On disc one, we have episodes one through seven, and disc two includes episodes eight through 15. And it will be approximately 259 minutes of Batman content for me to consume, and you might get even more. Although yours won't have any pictures. The DVT case is obviously not authentic, but we can spend a little time describing it. Batman and Robin are swinging over the city. It's very dark, but Batman's posing on the cover with one leg stuck out to the side and his arms up holding his cape like a real bat. And Robin's almost obscured behind him. All we can really see is that he's holding a silken rope. It's very dark and sepia-toned, probably because this movie's in black and white. I know we're all very excited for the movie, but I'm afraid I'm gonna have to give a little warning for racism specifically towards the Japanese during World War II. All right, on with it. So now that we've checked out the DVD box set, we can get into the actual content of the movie. When it opens up, we have a choice. We can pick a certain episode or we can play all. Tonight, we're picking a certain episode, The Electric Brain. Since it's a really old movie, we start out with credits and the names of all the people I just told you pop up, but I'm not looking at those credits right now, so you're just going to have to remember. But we do get this bat symbol, except for it has Batman's face in the background, which all the credits are projected over. Once the credits are done, we get into the story proper, where we have a house, just a giant house, sitting in the background. The narrator starts narrating over it. He says that it's Bruce Wayne's house, and inside there are secrets. And... We slowly zoom in towards the house. It's actually really dark, so we don't get to see very much. But then the scene switches. And suddenly, we're in the basement of the house. The Bat Cave, where we have Batman. He looks really silly. His ears are 
totally off, and even though it's black and white, he's way more white than black. He's sitting at this super ornate carved desk, which looks really silly because he's obviously just in a cave. And he's got this giant stuffed bat behind him. He's also got a couple ornate chairs, and he's sitting with his hands propped up on his desk, just looking into the foreground. The narrator says that this is the Bat Cave, hewn from the living rock of the mountain, and it's the headquarters of America's number one crime fighter. He sits at his desk, clad in the somber costume that has struck terror into the many hearts of the swaggering denizens of the underworld. Right now, he's thinking about crime and how to combat it. But his crime thoughts are interrupted by Robin coming up. He immediately stops thinking about crime and instead smiles, and he and Robin get up from the ornate desk and skip out of the Batcave. Then we have a little introduction of Batman for people not like us who haven't been following Batman up to this point. It's basically just Batman beating up a bunch of thugs. They show him jumping through a window and beating up a bunch of thugs in an office. They show him getting into a car chase and jumping from one car to the other. They show some thugs opening up a vault, but then Batman is in the vault and he comes and he beats all of them up. They tell us that Batman's a superhero who fights crime. And in the times of World War II, he also fights the Axis powers. Wow. After Batman is properly introduced, we can get into the real story. It starts out with Batman and Robin in their car, which I believe is a convertible. It doesn't have the giant creepy bat head on front, but it is probably supposed to be the Batmobile. They drive up to this police telephone box. Robin's all, these boxes are usually locked, and then Batman goes, I know it, and he pulls out a key and just unlocks it, and he calls the police. I didn't think seeing Batman as a live-action person would make me like him more, but it kind of does. When Batman calls the police, he doesn't talk to Commissioner Gordon. I don't think Commissioner Gordon exists in this movie. Instead, he talks to this guy called Arnold. He tells them that he's beat up a bunch of thugs on the corner of First and Maple, and they better come and get the thugs. So all the police head out. They even call some extra backup cars to meet them at the corner of First and Maple to find these thugs. But they're not all that fast, so while they're going to First and Maple, we get to see Batman and Robin tying up the thugs. One of the thugs says that a Dr. Deku Taka Decker? Hard to tell exactly what he says, but he says that he'll make Batman regret this. And Batman, of course, asks more questions about who this Dr. Decca is. But the thug won't tell him. He's just like, you'll find out. And Batman just leaves him handcuffed to a light pole. Robin wants to stick around and laugh at the faces of the police officers when they see the thugs tied up. But Batman can't stick around. He's got a date. So they run back to the Batmobile and drive off. In the car, they take off their Batman and Robin uniforms and grin at each other. Meanwhile, the police have finally arrived. They see the thugs who are handcuffed to the pole, and one of the police officers finds a note pinned in one of the guy's shirts. They also have little bat stickers on their foreheads that means Batman caught them, I guess. I like it. I like it. Almost as good as a bat box. The head police officer, Arnold, reads the note, and it says that the thugs are part of this Collins gang. 
One of the police officers says that he really wants Batman on the force, and Mr. Arnold is all, oh, you just find him, I'll put him on the force. But, of course, this man does not know who Batman is, so instead we get to go see Bruce on his date. Actually, we go over to the Gotham City Foundation, where there's a woman walking around in an office. I really hope she's Linda. She definitely looks like she could be Linda. Bruce and Dick walk in, and Bruce calls her Linda. So yes, they've got all the characters right. Bruce Wayne is going on a date with Linda Page. And this is actually the first time I've tried to put Dick's name in my notes. I'm using speech-to-text dictation on Word, and they censor his name when I say it aloud. Poor kid, imagine him trying to dictate papers for school, and then he can't even sign it. So Bruce and Dick saunter into Linda's office. Bruce sits down in this chair right next to her desk where she's typing on her typewriter. She's all, so you've been busy, Bruce? And he's like, oh yeah, I woke up at the crack of noon, I walked down to the corner, then I went to the club to play some gin rummy. Oh yes, the classic game, gin rummy. It's like a card game, some variation of rummy. Very stressful, Bruce. She, of course, doesn't think that's a very stressful day, but she does have something planned out for them tomorrow. She needs Bruce to come with her to meet her Uncle Martin somewhere. Unclear exactly what they're doing, but she says that he'd be very happy to see his friends and he needs support from them, so I suppose he must be coming back for some time away or something. Bruce, of course, agrees to go with her to pick up her uncle, but he asks her to schedule it later in the day, since he's always tired before noon. Yeah, Bruce, well, maybe if you didn't run around as Batman in the middle of the night, you would not be tired during the day. Although I feel like you're happy to make that trade-off. Bruce and Linda are actually going to go out on their date today. They're not just making plans for tomorrow, but first Linda has to go get her coat and hat, so she steps into the other room. She seems to be like a secretary for a doctor or something. And while she's gone, Dick takes the opportunity to go lean over Bruce's shoulder and ask why in the world he has not told Linda that he's Batman yet. Yeah, Bruce, I've been saying this, but it's probably just to establish she doesn't know. Bruce is like, no, telling her I'm Batman will only worry her. If she worries about me at all. And then Dick asks, what's he gonna tell her if she asks if he's in the army? And Bruce makes some joke about their special assignment from Uncle Sam, which I don't understand. I'm pretty sure Batman is doing this independently and has had no special assignments from Uncle Sam, but maybe movie Batman works for the government. Weird. Linda comes back pretty quickly after that, and they head out of the building. She's wearing a very big hat, and Bruce doesn't even make fun of her, even though it's not a little princess triangle hat. They walk all the way out of the Gotham Foundation building, and when they get outside, there's some kid walking down the street selling papers. Bruce, of course, buys a paper, and since it's the movies, we don't even get to see the front page of the paper, let alone the price. Bruce tells us, though, he says that it's about Batman. Linda, of course, still has a crush on Batman, and she's really excited to see him in the paper, but Bruce doesn't act so excited. Apparently, he's trying to distance himself from Batman by talking bad about Batman. He calls Batman a show-off. Linda's all, oh, anyone who does anything's a show-off to you. Bruce is like, oh yeah, well, I can do stuff. I'll do anything you want. I'll show up tomorrow and meet you to get your uncle, even if it's before noon. Bruce pokes fun at himself a lot in this movie. They kind of have a sarcastic, dry humor thing going on that I quite like. After that, presumably 
Bruce goes on a date with Linda. I don't know what Dick does. I hope he doesn't go on the date. That would be weird and he wouldn't like it. But the next day, Linda's uncle is released from prison. He was in a prison. He wasn't like coming back from overseas or something. No. He gets outside the jail and he kind of looks around for Linda, but she isn't there yet. Bruce delayed her by being lazy. But there are some people waiting for him. Apparently his old cellmate and some friends of his cellmate are there to pick him up. They look very suspicious and evil. They come up to him and they invite him to come with them. He's all, oh, my niece was supposed to pick me up. And they're like, yeah, sure, she couldn't make it. So we're going to drive you to her. They also call him Mr. Warren. I guess he's like her mother's brother. But he's not suspicious of his cellmate friends. So they stick him in their car and they drive away. And as they drive away, they pass Bruce Wayne's car. He, Linda, and Dick are in the back, and Alfred is in the front driving. Linda's uncle is like, hey, isn't that my niece? And they're like, no, no, that just, that's just someone who looks like her. But he's pretty sure that that was his niece. One sitting in the back of the car next to him goes, pipe down, Marty. His name is Martin. So he obeys and pipes down. He doesn't seem to resist his kidnapping very much. He must be very cowardly. We don't follow him, though. We follow Linda and Bruce. She comes up to the prison, and she's like, Hey, where's my uncle? He was gonna get released. And the guards there are like, Oh, he just left. So she goes back to Bruce, and she's like, He already left. But she's able to identify that he left in the car they just passed. So she gets in the car, and the four of them go off to follow Linda's uncle. We see Alfred here, but he gets, like, one line. And I'm not even sure he's the butler. He's wearing some sort of chauffeur hat. The car they're driving around in is pretty fast, so they're able to tail the thugs no problem. And a couple miles away on a sort of deserted maybe highway, the thugs notice that they're being followed. They try to lose the four of them, but the Batmobile, which this car might be, it's got its roof down now and it didn't before, but I think it's a convertible. So probably the Batmobile. Batmobile can catch up to any car and it's gaining on these thugs. The thugs are like, oh no, what are we going to do? And back in the Batmobile, they're having a great time. Going fast in a convertible is always fun. They have to hold on to their hats to keep them from flying off. Linda's all, you think we can catch him? And Bruce says, they can catch him for sure, but only if they don't get stopped by a speed cop. But Fortune is not with them. The thugs must turn a corner or something, because for a few seconds they're out of sight. And when they are, one of the thugs in the back of the car says to release the gas and make the change. And then the license plate of the thug's car flips over and some sort of gas is released from the wheels and it turns the car white. Now it looks like a completely different car. The thug driving turns the car around so they're going the other way. They drive back towards the Batmobile and when they pass it, all the people in the back get down, including Linda's uncle. You know, I think he wants to be kidnapped. He could have shouted or something. Both of the cars have their windows down. He definitely would have been heard, but nope, he just ducks down with the rest of them, and the car gets past the Batmobile and everyone in it. After a bit of driving, they figure that they've lost the thugs, which is weird because there aren't any side roads. It's a true disappearing act. Bruce wishes he could learn it so he wouldn't have to pay his creditors. I'm not entirely sure what he means by that, but he's rich, he can afford to pay his creditors, and he's way too moral to just not pay someone. 
But now they've lost the thug, so they really don't know what to do. They just head back to Linda's office and hope that Linda's uncle will call them. And we don't follow them, of course. Now it's our turn to check in on the villains. They're in Little Tokyo. I've never seen Little Tokyo before, but I guess we hadn't seen the Batcave until now either. And some of the signs in Little Tokyo seem to be in Chinese. Which is a little strange, but whatever. Little Tokyo is actually almost completely deserted because all the Japanese people in it were sent to internment camps. Um, and the movie seems to be in support of this. I don't think I need to tell you guys that the Japanese internment camps were a bad thing, but let's just watch the movie a bit more. Camera slowly pulls out of Little Tokyo, showing that no one is here except there's one place that's still open. The Japanese Cave of Horrors. 1,000 shocks for only 10 cents. But then we're informed by the guy telling the ride that it's not 10 cents, it's 10 cents plus tax. How villainous. It's sort of a cross between a roller coaster and a haunted house. The people are put in this little roller coaster cart and then they go through. The thug's car pulls up in Little Tokyo and they walk over to this Japanese cave of horrors, bringing Linda's uncle with them. They go up right to the front of the line even though they didn't pay and they get on their little minecart thing and they go through the cave of horrors. Doesn't look that horrible. I mean, there are a bunch of rocks and there are a bunch of kind of creepy wax figures. But nothing like jumps out and tries to scare them or something. They pass about three clumps of wax figures and then they come to this spot in the wall where the wall looks fake. One thug is all, end of the line, Warren. And then they wait for him to get out of the car and come over to the piece of wall that looks fake. This guy is just participating in his own kidnapping. Wow. Right before they go in the door, one of the wax figures that's been standing next to it moves its eyes. This is clearly a real person. I hope he's only a door guard and not all the wax figures are real. It would probably be a really boring job for them. So the door opens up and all the thugs go in, and inside it looks kind of Japanese. There's definitely some art on the walls that has Japanese people in it and cherry blossom trees. And inside this Japanese room, there's a Japanese man holding counsel with, like, four other guys. I mean, he's not actually Japanese, he's played by an Irish guy, but he looks Japanese for the purposes of this movie. And we're just gonna move on from that. Anyway, he introduces his little crime counsel as the New Order. Everybody on it is a criminal, just like Linda's uncle. Linda's uncle's all, hey, wait a minute. I'm not a criminal. I was wrongfully convicted. But the Japanese guy up front, who introduces himself as Dr. Decca, doesn't care. He says that Linda's uncle's been dishonored by society, just like all these men here. Then Dr. Decca introduces all his little crime counsel. He gives them all names, but the names kind of went in through one of my ears and out the other, except for one, Mr. Fletcher. He's an architect and engineer, and he has amazing-looking eyebrows. Like, better than Bruce Wayne's. Like, I would be jealous if I didn't also have really nice eyebrows. He also is in frame a lot and seems to be constantly changing where he's looking. After Dr. Decca has introduced all his gang, he stands up and he proclaims their goal. He says he's a humble servant of his majesty, Hirohito, and he wants to destroy democracy. 
and America. And he says that all Americans are slaves to democracy and he needs to free them. This is a propaganda comic movie. It took a minute for me to recognize it because I thought it was just going to be a movie, but no. So the reason they've brought Linda's uncle here is they want him to work for them as their industrialist. He doesn't say what the other people do besides Mr. Fletcher, but I guess an industrialist is necessary. And this is where Linda's uncle finally starts resisting his kidnapping a little bit. He's all, no way, I'm not going to work for the Axis powers. I'm way too American, and you can torture me however you like, but I won't help you at all. And then Dr. Decker sits down and he's all, torture you? No, 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 I'm not going to torture you. And he pulls out this little microphone thing, and he says something into it. The audio in this movie isn't great. Meanwhile, Mr. Fletcher is sitting to the side of the panel, just looking bored. After a few seconds, the little fake door opens up again, and this guy in a turtleneck comes in. Linda's uncle actually recognizes this guy. His name is Bob, and he used to be Linda's uncle's partner. He goes over to Bob, and he starts shaking him. He's all, come on, man. But Bob doesn't respond at all. And he's got this, like, metal thing on his head. I can't see it very well, but kind of looks like a fly. Dr. Decker gets up from where he's sitting at his ornate table, and he starts walking around Bob. He's all, Linda's uncle, you're actually our second choice for industrialist. This guy was our first choice, but he also refused to work for us. So we turned him into a zombie. And he does actually call him a zombie. I was a little confused by that because I thought zombies weren't really a thing until like the 60s. So I went and looked it up. And apparently zombies have been kind of in the cultural consciousness since 1700. But they got more popular in film in 1932 after the movie White Zombie was released. Starring Bela Lugosi as an evil voodoo master who turns a woman into a zombie. So yeah, apparently he'd know who zombies were just fine. Now that Linda's uncle has gotten a demonstration of what will happen to him if he refuses to work for Dr. Decca, Dr. Decca's all, so are you gonna join us? And Linda's uncle's all, still no. And then he tries to just casually walk away. He doesn't even run. He doesn't even push the guy next to him out of the way. He just tries to, like, walk a couple steps away. And, of course, the guy standing next to him grabs him. And then another guy gets up and also grabs him. And Dr. Decker says to take him down to the electronic laboratory. And now Linda's uncle has a guy holding on to both of his arms. So he just comes very quietly. You'd think he'd be struggling a bit. I mean, I know it's not super proper, but he's going to be turned into a zombie mind slave now. So you'd think he'd struggle a little harder. So they all go down to the electronic laboratory. They sit Linda's uncle down in a chair. And then Dr. Decker puts on a lab coat. But it's not a normal lab coat. It doesn't open in the front. It ties behind. And he has these little slits in it that he puts the ties in through the front. And then he's able to tie it behind. And it looks very neat. If I ever get a lab coat, I'll get that sort of lab coat. So... I thought they were going to start turning Linda's uncle into a zombie. Apparently they put some sort of 1940s microchip thing in his head and in his spine and he only takes orders from the person with the microphone. 
but they aren't going to do that yet. You see, Linda's uncle actually has some important information. He was involved with the building of the Gotham City Foundation, where Linda currently works, and Dr. Decker wants to get some information on that. So he pulls out this little bottle and he's all, you know what this is? It's truth serum, a common weapon of the Axis powers. Then he fills up his syringe and he injects Linda's uncle. Linda's uncle immediately just passes out, but Dr. Decker needs him awake, so he grabs him by the chin and moves his head around and slaps him. And when he doesn't wake up, he slaps him again. Now, Linda's uncle is kind of coherent, and he's ready to answer any questions they have for him. Dr. Decker immediately demands to know if there's radium in the Gotham City Foundation. And there is! He asks Linda's uncle where it is, and it's in a safe in this guy called Dr. Borum's office. He asks for the code, too, but Linda's uncle doesn't know it. So he's outlived his usefulness, and they drag him off to become a zombie, probably. But why does Dr. Decker want all this radium? Well, he's going to answer that question right now. He takes out his little microphone, and he calls for more mind slaves. While they're on their way, he goes over to a different part of his laboratory, and he pulls out this little box. Then he opens the box and pulls out this weird gun thing. It looks like a cross between a gun and a drill and a camera. Then the mind slaves come in, and there are two of them this time. They're carrying this big block of something, like stone or ice or something heavy. It's hard to tell since this movie's in black and white. Dr. Decker takes his gun back to his little council of villains, and he has some other guy loaded up. It's loaded with radium, so I guess they want the radium to power it? The mind slaves put their block of stone down in front of Dr. Decker, and then he tells them to clear off. So I guess he's not going to kill his mind slaves with this gun. He points his radium gun at the stone, and he puts it on its lowest setting, and then he fires it. And the concrete gets a little lighter, and lightning starts sparking off of it, and then the screen turns all white, and when it flashes back on, the concrete is just a pile of rubble. Dr. Decker goes over and picks up a chunk of the concrete, and when he does, it just crumbles in his hand like it's a block of sand instead of concrete. This is where he tells us that it's concrete. He says that... If he has more radium, he's going to be able to build even greater weapons based off the Atom Smasher. And now that we've got our insight into what the villains are doing, we get to go back to Bruce and Dick. They're currently in Linda's office, hanging out. They're kind of waiting for her uncle to call. She's really worried about it, but Bruce isn't so worried. She's kind of upset, though. She goes over and she says, Bruce... If you didn't wake up so late, we could have got over to my uncle and picked him up before those guys ever saw him. Bruce is like, alright, I get it. I'm gonna turn over a new leaf and I'm going to become very dependable. And is all, yeah, I've heard that before. But Bruce reaffirms, no, no, I mean it. From now on, you just tell me what to do and I'll do it. So, Linda takes the opportunity to kick him out of her office. Bruce and Dick both get up to go, but before they leave, Bruce asks Linda, if she thought of calling the prison guys to see if they know who those men were. She goes, that's actually a pretty good idea, and she goes to do it. Bruce is all smug. He's like, see, I'm starting to become more dependable already. So Linda does call the prison, and she talks to the prison people, but they didn't recognize any of the men, despite one of them saying he used to be her uncle's cellmate. So you'd think they'd recognize him, but I guess not. 
So that line went nowhere, and Bruce and Dick leave her office. Meanwhile, some thugs are driving down the street in the car. One of them is Dr. Decca's right-hand man. The other one, I'm not sure. I think he's just a random thug. And the last one is a mind slave. I can't tell if he's Linda's uncle or not, but I think he's not. One of them, the random guy driving the car, is kind of upset that the mind slave is being brought along. He can't even think for himself. He's not a proper teammate. But Dr. Decca's right-hand henchman assures him that the mind slave is as strong as a bull, so that should make up for it. And having him along also means that Dr. Decca is going to be able to watch them at any time through some sort of camera. We see it later, and he's not looking from the mind slave's point of view. I don't know. He's able to track them, though. And they pull up in front of the Gotham City Foundation. They don't do anything yet, though. They just wait. And soon, they see a laundry truck pull up. It goes into an alley behind the building, to where I assume the building's laundry chute is, and the thugs say that's their symbol to go. So they all get out of their car and start walking towards the Gotham City Foundation. Outside the building, Bruce and Dick have just come up to their car. And we get more shots of Alfred. It doesn't really look like the Alfred from the comics. He seems to have a full head of hair, and he's pretty thin. Bruce and Dick are just getting in the car when the thugs walk past them. Bruce is all, hey, those are those people from the car chase yesterday. He watches them walk into the building, and then he goes, I have an idea that Batman should look into this. And he gets into his car. And don't forget Robin. Dick is very excited, and he also gets into the car, but he jumps over the side. Bruce tells Alfred to go drive into an alley so that they can go put their costumes on. And he pulls out his bag, which has the costumes in it, opens it up, and he starts pulling up the Batman costume even before they get into the alley. Wow, I like that they've included Bruce not really caring about his cover very much in this movie. It's very in character. Over in the building, the thugs have gotten inside, and they're actually walking towards Linda's office. Apparently the doctor she works for is Dr. Borum, so... They need to look for the radium in his office. They get her out of the office pretty quickly. The third guy just goes up to her and drags her into another room. It's a two-room office. And then the mind slave and the right-hand thug start searching all over the office to find the radium. Meanwhile, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson have changed into their Batman and Robin costumes. They're in an alley, too, not the same alley as the laundry truck. And they climb up the adjacent building on a fire escape ladder so that they can swing over to the Gotham City Foundation building. Over in the room, the right-hand thug has just found the safe. But oh no, Dr. Borum's coming back. He walks into the room and he's all, what is this? And then he recognizes the mind slave. Not as Linda's uncle, as some other doctor he knows. And then the mind slave just turns around, grabs him by the throat and strangles him. Strangles him to death, probably. Obviously, this was on Dr. Decker's orders, and the right-hand thug just goes over and surreptitiously closes the door the doctor just came in. But he has found the safe, and now all they have to do is break it open and get out of there. And in the next shot, they do bust it open with the radium gun, and they're able to take all the extra radium out of it. The guy who dragged Linda off into the other room comes back, and he has this pillowcase. He stuffs a bunch of fabric into the pillowcase, and then they put the radium gun and the radium into the pillowcase and tie it up. 
Meanwhile, Batman and Robin have got to the roof of the other building and they're setting up their ropes to swing over. The thugs have all they came for now and they leave the office. They go right to a laundry chute and the random thug throws the pillowcase full of radium and radium gun down it to be retrieved by the laundry man. He's only just finished this when Batman and Robin come swinging straight through a window. They break it into a bunch of pieces and then they chase the thugs. They chase them all the way up to this roof where the thugs get out the radium gun. Apparently they only put the radium in the pillowcase. But it was probably good for them that they did because now they get to shoot the radium gun at Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin are pretty good at dodging, though, and the gun's still on its lowest setting, so it can't really get through the stuff they hide behind. At one point, we see Batman and Robin go behind a chimney, and then the thugs realize they're behind the chimney, and one of them fires the radium gun at the chimney. It breaks apart into little pieces just to show that Batman and Robin weren't there at all, and then Batman and Robin come out from behind another box and tackle the thugs. The one who had the radium gun is disarmed, and then they have fisticuffs. Robin fights one guy, and Batman fights the other guy and the Mind Slave. Meanwhile, back with Linda, she seems to have escaped her secondary office and gotten to a phone. But it must be one of those inside-the-building phones, because she doesn't call the police. She calls some woman who also works there, presumably, and asks her to call the police. And at the same time, the laundry guy has retrieved all the radium. He calls Dr. Decca and asks if he should try to stay and help out, but Dr. Decca just says to come back with the radium. Back at the fight, Batman has knocked out one thug, but he's having trouble with the Mind Slave. Robin also isn't doing too well. Batman and Robin are so weak in this movie. They're losing to just three thugs. The Mind Slave has shoved Batman over to the edge of the roof and has started pressing him off the edge. He's going to fall over in a minute. But since Dr. Decca has heard that they now have the radium, he's not super invested in killing Batman anymore. He turns on his little TV and he sees the Mind Slave strangling Batman on the edge of the roof. And instead of just letting Batman be strangled, he pulls out his little microphone and he tells his Mind Slave to stop strangling Batman and get off the roof. The Mind Slave immediately stops strangling Batman and Batman just slumps over, laying on the guardrail of the roof. Like he's completely out of danger. But the Mind Slave doesn't head back into the building to go back to Dr. Decca. Instead, he gets up on the guardrail, and then it's heavily implied that he jumps off. Some people on the ground see him and scream. That's a little dark, wow. But Batman isn't out of the woods just yet. Back in the main part of the roof, the thug who was fighting Robin has managed to beat him up and knock him over. The thug doesn't stick around to finish him off, though. Instead, he goes for Batman, who's still laying on the guardrail of the roof. And the thug that Batman knocked out before manages to get back up. And together, they fight Batman on the edge of the roof until they shove him over with his arms and legs flailing around wildly. And we leave off with Batman falling and falling and falling off the roof of the building to smash into the concrete below, just like the Mind Slave. Also, apparently, Dr. Decca has Linda captured for information about the whereabouts of his radium gun. I'm not really sure about that, but he definitely did it. Can she escape his evil clutches? Will Dr. Decca recover the radium gun? Don't fail to see the Bat Cave, Chapter 2 of Batman, at this theater next week.
the end.